Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, hour three. Well, you people have been waiting for it. It finally hit. My goodness gracious, uh, this is a doozy. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show, the phone number is 877-973-7425. Down in Georgia, a must-win seat if Republicans want to take back the Senate. The Republicans just took off the gloves. Raphael Warnock. We see him on TV, but what is he really hiding? Here's what his ex-wife had to say. I've tried to keep the way that he acts under wraps for a long time. During their divorce two years ago, police were called when Warnock hit his wife with his car after an argument. Earlier this year, he was accused of neglecting his small children and failing to pay court-mandated childcare costs despite being worth more than $800,000 and making $174,000 a year from taxpayers. When officials tried to serve him papers, Warnock ran from the process server. Georgia voters are learning a lot about Senator Warnock, but take it from the people who know him best. He's a great actor, 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 actor. Oh, are they going to get that on air? It looks like it's a digital ad because it's only 48 seconds. It needs to be a minute or 30 seconds to be on TV, but... My goodness gracious, the gloves are finally off from the Republicans. They're tired of all the punches being thrown. Um, holy cow. Now, here's here's some, here's some, I just, why why now as opposed to back then? I, I realize Republicans say they had to, they had to basically have a primary in the general, but my goodness gracious, um, this is just, Wow. By the way, uh, my buddy David tells me uh, that Kevin McCarthy is going to give the response to the president's speech tonight. We'll see if Kevin McCarthy actually does a good job. Uh, he's going to be speaker. I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day who is in Congress and is not a fan of Kevin McCarthy. He would prefer someone else. He's not really a fan of Scalise or McCarthy, but he says it's it's going to be McCarthy as speaker, whether you like it or not, um, because McCarthy has said everything to everyone they want to hear, uh, and he may be uh, overthrown at some point, but don't hold your hopes that someone other than McCarthy is going to be speaker of the House. Scalise, at least, will be majority leader. I, I'm actually a, a bigger fan of Scalise than I am of McCarthy. I just don't like McCarthy. Um, I, I think he's an empty suit, sticks his finger in the wind and decide which way to go. And just as soon as he has your back, he will stab you in the back. Now, all that being said, we need to move on. Uh, let us go back to the phones. Charles, you're going to be up next on the Eric Erickson. So Charles, how are you? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Great. What's going on? So I, I, sir. Yeah. I just wonder what's going on. No, I, uh, I was listening to your show and I was listening to the uh, one of your callers earlier talk about, you know, the messaging from the Republican Party. And, you know, I kind of I'm old enough to remember the contract with America that Newt Gingrich instituted. And when I said that to uh, the gentleman that answered the phone, he said Rick Scott got lambasted for bringing that up. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not a fan of Kevin McCarthy's either. I think... If he really cared um, personally for what you know with with the with the landscape of 
of where things are in America today, you would have no problem having a contract with America and saying what you're going to do to fix the problems and having everybody that's a Republican sign on to it. And if they don't want to sign on to it, then they need to be representing us in Congress or the Senate. Yeah, so, you know, I, I will tell you, I've, I've gone back and forth on the particular issue of, for example, having another contract. And Republicans in the House love to do these sorts of things. No one ever remembers them. And I actually know enough good people who were Republican strategists at the time who argue that really the contract with America did not cause the Republicans to win in 1994 that they retroactively claimed it did, but they were going to win because of all the contempt for the Democrats, the changing winds in the South towards the GOP. They didn't need it. But ever since it was such a memorable thing, and by the way, uh, of the contract with America, only one of the, no, two of the issues, only two of the planks of the contract with America were signed into law, and one was declared unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. So keep that perspective, historic perspective in mind. It didn't radically change things, but the Republicans say that's what gave them the House. It allowed people to know who they were and what they stood for. McConnell's point in the Senate is that what people need to know is that Republicans stand against Joe Biden's agenda. They don't necessarily need to tell people what they're for. That opens lines of attacks from Democrats and that when Rick Scott said essentially we're going to raise taxes on people with Social Security and the like, uh, that that was something that could be used against Republicans. It was an unforced error. All they had to do was say, we are not Joe Biden and the Democrats. Republicans in the House, however, fetishize uh, the contract with America and insist on it. And that's fine. House Republicans want to say, here are the overwhelmingly popular things we're going to do that that are poll tested. We know you're going to like them. And the Democrats, if they dare run against them, they're going to be hurt. Uh, the odds of any of them becoming law are slim to none. The, the president will veto all of them. But Hey, it gives them something to run on and says, uh, th- this is what we're going to do. I-, I-, I hate to sound very cynical on this, but I actually am uh, when the history of the contract with America shows that that only two of the issues got passed and one of them uh, was declared unconstitutional. That was the line item veto, by the way. Supreme Court said the line item veto is unconstitutional. Clinton signed it into law uh, and the Supreme Court said no. Uh, I forget what the other one was. Um, but they were the only two that really passed. Uh, the Republicans in the Senate actually uh, couldn't get into the rest of them passed, and many of the Republicans of the Senate didn't want them passed. But, hey, it gives the Republicans something to differentiate themselves, so go for it. Steve, you're going to be next. Welcome to the program. Steve, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How you doing? Good. Hey, I was uh, concerned here. It flashed in my mind today listening to uh, Joe Biden talk about you know, and vilifying uh, certain members of the Republican Party, uh, not just, you know, leaders, but, you know, voters also. And it reminded me of back during the campaign when he was vilifying the police, saying that the police were out to get black people and blah, blah, blah. And then next thing you know, we saw uh, cops getting shot. So, you know, I, I hope somebody will bring that up, that he is being very... Uh, you know, I don't know what the word I'm trying to look for right now, but irresponsible, I guess, would be the word. Oh, listen, uh, he's the guy who told people that um, that Republicans would put black voters back in chains. Uh, Joe Biden has a history 
of this sort of nonsense. And for him to try to be the adult in the room is something Republicans shouldn't give him a pass on. So all the time when Democrats and the media say, oh, Republicans provoke violence, Barack Obama is literally the man who told his voters to take guns to knife fights. Barack Obama is literally the man who told people to get in their neighbors' faces and argue with them. Barack Obama is literally the man who told Hispanic voters Republicans were their enemy. Barack Obama is literally the man who set up a center at the White House to report your neighbor if they had the audacity to lie about Obamacare. Barack Obama is literally the man who had his campaign send postcards to voters telling them your next door neighbor's voting Republican. You need to cancel their vote. Barack Obama did all of those things, and the media regularly gives him a pass. The Democrats are the ones who showed up at restaurants and chased Republicans out. Maxine Waters stood on the uh, uh, out on the street with a bullhorn saying, get in their faces, chase them out, make their lives miserable. And somehow it's always the Republicans. Well, this is why I just, I, I've stopped caring when the media tries to say the Republicans are mobilizing mobs and the Republicans are, are getting people to be violent because uh, the media is absolutely has no intention of holding the left accountable for their own violence, has no intention of holding the left accountable for their own rhetoric, has no intention of being fair on the issue. So I don't care about Republicans provoking violence. And I know I should because I do think it's wrong. But the fact that the media is perfectly fine with Democrats doing this tells me it's not actually an issue they care about. It's one they think they can score points on. You should care when politicians of any stripe try to mobilize mobs against your fellow Americans. Whether you agree with those Americans or not, it's wrong. The media, however, and the Democrats do not care one whit if Democrats do it. They only care if Republicans do it. And that suggests they think it's partisan. By the way, uh, speaking of Kevin McCarthy... Uh, I want to play this audio from you because we got to talk a little more about this stuff later with this Green Deal stuff. Listen to McCarthy. It's one party rule, the Democrats. It's, it's interesting that more people are leaving California than coming to California. But this is all the policies of Democrats. Remember what Gavin Newsom has done. He's gone after the energy production in California. So he decreased the production of 20 percent. But he, up, he uh, adds to that by paying Putin for 50,000 barrels a day. He outlaws a combustion engine. But then tells you in the same week that you can't can't charge your electric car. I, I gotta tell you, um, I think that's a more compelling message than this one from the White House press secretary. You know, the president thinks that there is an extremist threat to our democracy. Uh, the president has been clear as he can be on that particular uh, piece when we talk about a democracy, when we talk about our freedoms. Uh, the way that he sees is the MAGA Republicans are the most energized part of the Republican Party. Uh, the, that extreme, this is an extreme threat to our democracy, to our freedom, uh, to our rights. Uh, they just don't respect the rule of law. That's what they say. Sam Harris, remember Sam Harris, he's the atheist philosopher who said he was okay uh, with any conspiracy that was a lie if it would stop Donald Trump. He, he's tried to explain this. Listen to his audio here. I've said on several occasions that I think Donald Trump is a worse person than Osama bin Laden. Now, the statement is obviously meant to get your attention. I get that it's surprising, but it's not meant to be hyperbolic. I can defend every word of a statement like that. That he's that Donald Trump is worse than Osama bin Laden. This is the message that Democrats are running on. Now, let me play you this message from Ron DeSantis that Republicans are running on. 
I do think in Congress, you know, they need to start looking about uh, the influence that you have from big pharma. At the end of the day, we need to do policy that's in the nation's interest, not just what's in pharma's interest. I mean, they basically have run the show for a long time. And as Joe said, we want companies to do well. I mean, it's not, it's not as if we, we don't want that. And you do need to be able to do well in order to research and develop and all that stuff. Uh, but I think that that could be done in a way that's not putting almost the entire burden of that on American consumers and patients and allowing other folks to do less. So I'm hoping that there will be uh, an interest in looking at this in the Congress uh, when the new Congress takes in. Obviously, they're not going to do anything with the current lot of them. Uh, that's great. Republicans are actually talking about pocketbook issues. Democrats are talking about how bad Donald Trump is and Republicans are a threat to democracy. Do you really think if Republicans keep focusing on how bad the economy is under Democrats when it wasn't under Donald Trump, that somehow or another the voters are going to go with a Democratic message that offers them no solutions to the problems that ail them? I have a hard time believing that which is why Republicans don't need to take their eye off the prize. Everybody asked me about bowl and branch sheets. I actually put up a picture the other day. We got some in our house because we order from them. We actually are customers. And they're like, oh my gosh, are they really that good? Yes, they get softer every single time you wash them. I mean, they use 100% organic cotton threads. They're super soft. You get such a good sleep. They have just the great weight to them. Like I had a pair of sheets we actually threw away when we replaced them with Bowling Branch where is they were just like too light and also not very soft. The Bowling Branch, they're perfect. The drape across your body when you sleep, absolutely perfect. Bowling Branch uses the highest quality threads on earth for superior softness, for a better night's sleep. They've got over 10,000 stellar reviews. Their signature sheets come in nine neutral colors in all sizes from twin to California you will feel the difference and they're 100% free from toxins no pesticides, no formaldehyde no harsh chemicals get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC E-R-I-C-K at BolandBranch.com that's BolandBranch B-O-L-L-A-N-D Branch.com the promo code is ERIC E-R-I-C-K hello there it is Eric Erickson here the phone number is 877-973-7425 this hour the program brought to you by first liberty building and loan wherever you are nationwide you want your business to grow they can help you if you need access to large loans of uh, $750,000 or more you're buying a building building a building growing a franchise buying a franchise reach out to them firstlibertyga.com firstlibertyga.com whether you're in Portland, Oregon, or Jacksonville, Florida, across the nation, they can help you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Let me go back to the phones. Uh, Morris, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the show. Hello, Eric. Hi. Uh, Eric, my, my comment is that I'm being bombarded by ads where they're saying, making Herschel statements he's made and then saying that they're a lie. Now, I know he was mentally ill. I think in 2008 he got treated, and he's no longer that type of person. How many of those actions and statements were made prior to 2008 when he was mentally ill? I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of what they're focusing on are the things that happened before he got treatment. Um, almost every single issue that the Democrats are highlighting are things that happened, including, you know, uh, he and his ex-wife went on – uh, television together and they had a conversation 
about his mental health and his abusiveness when he was suffering from mental health before he got treatment. The Democrats have used that in advertisements against him when actually um, his family has come out and defended him and said this was before he got treatment and before he got help. And they're essentially, by doing this, going to discourage other people from getting the mental therapy and mental help they need. Meanwhile, Raphael Warnock literally did hit his wife with his car in the last few years, never has claimed to suffer from mental health, and the Democrats want to give him a complete pass on it. Um, it just It's striking hypocrisy. Uh, now, back to the phones we go. Mark, you're going to be up next on the Eric Erickson Show. Welcome, Mark. Hi, awesome show. Thanks. Thank you for everything that you do. I, um, I'm calling because this whole, this whole strategy uh, of voting on policy, I know we love that strategy because we love to get into policy, and our policies are generally ethically superior to that of the postmodern left. However, I'm really concerned about that because – it seems like in the hierarchy of voting, yes, policy is important, but what, the, what liberals always seem to do successfully is they elevate their discussion above policy and they make it good versus bad. They make it good versus evil. It's what Joe Biden is going to do tonight. He's not going to focus on any policy. He's not going to do anything. They're not going to talk about anything else. They're going to say the other guy is evil and we're good. And it seems to work. It works every time. It always works. The last Republican that could explain why conservatism was ethically superior, in my opinion, is Ronald Reagan. We haven't had anybody that takes on the ethics of, of the position and of the, of the policies. We get into the weeds of the policy, why it's good or bad for you, voting with your wallet, for example. But we don't call out the general ethics of, of what you're voting for as good versus evil. Gosh, you know, I think, I think, Mark, that's a great point. Uh, and, and you're right. Reagan wasn't ashamed to be called a conservative. And even when you get into the Bush administration, uh, they wanted to be big government conservatives. What can government do to improve your family and social conservatism? Let me just, just tell you, just out of the gate, you don't have to be a person of faith to be a conservative, but I am a conservative because I am a Christian. And I understand that every one of us made in the image of God, we are all sinners in a fallen world. And I want as few sinners in charge of me as possible, which makes me a small government conservative. I believe that empowering you individually is a way to improve your life so that you are not dependent on a government that may disappoint you and fail you, but instead can have government leave you alone protecting your family, protecting our borders, and ensuring a level playing field so you can compete. I think when we allow government to pick winners and losers, as both political parties have done, it means that you can't compete. I am a capitalist because I believe that David should be able to slay Goliath and become become Goliath, and then the next David should come along and be able to slay that Goliath, and we should have a cycle of creative destruction where you can benefit yourself and those who can be good stewards of their resources by benefiting others, providing a good and service that is useful to others in an arm's length transaction free of government interference is the best way to order society. I believe that two-parent nuclear households raising children is the most stable way to raise kids for the future. I believe these things and these things thereby make me a conservative. And so they order my life in a way that thinks that the more government we have, 
the less we are able as ourselves to be self-reliant and independent. And that if we keep government small and as localized as possible, we're able to thrive by seeking the welfare of our communities. And I think conservatives should be willing to defend that vision of America because it works. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Y'all would be amazed at the number of times I do this program, have an organized show that weaves everything in and then get to the show, the microphone goes on and, well, everything goes out the window. This is one of those days where I have to just scroll back through and see did I, did I, nope, I, I missed that. Nope, I got to rename the third hour because I hadn't even gotten to the fentanyl stuff and I still got to get to this. Republicans are readying lawsuits to block Biden student loan bailout. The American political press wants nothing more than to hump Joe Biden's leg like a little chihuahua. They have advertised their student loan bailout of the White House as a done deal. If they were honest along the way, they would have to have noted it faces real constitutional legal hurdles, including the fact that Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden in just the last year have said Joe Biden doesn't have the ability to do this. In fact, the counsel for the Department of Education who has said Joe Biden can do this just last year said he couldn't. And now there are numerous lawsuits being filed and you will not be surprised to learn that most outside legal scholars, regardless of their partisan orientation, believe that this will be found to be not legal. And I think that is something you probably need to keep in mind. Independent legal experts say a legal challenge could prove successful. Jed Hedelman uh, Sugarman a professor at Fordham Law School said the Justice Department memo justifying the policy because of COVID did not fit either the nature of the broad action or the way the White House has defended it. Introducing the plan, Biden spoke primarily of fixing a broken system of higher education and put less emphasis on offering emergency relief due to the pandemic. Sugarman stressed that he supports student debt cancellation and wants the administration to change its legal argument so it does not get struck down by the Supreme Court. If they keep going with this argument and this interpretation of the statute, it's likely to lose six to three, and it's possible to lose more than six to three, Sugarman said. Without a shifted administration strategy, I foresee this good policy being rightly struck down by the courts. Adam Minsky, a Boston lawyer who specializes in student debt issues, said it is hard to predict exactly where the Supreme Court would come down on the matter, but that the main legal question is likely to be whether the plaintiff has standing. Litigation could result in an emergency injunction halting the policy. It would be a mess. There may be enough justices who say it went too far. Now, what I find interesting here is Jeff Stein. He's the White House economics reporter for the white for the Washington Post he was a crime reporter for the Syracuse Post he founded a local news nonprofit the Ithaca Voice in upstate New York he was also a reporter for Vox 
that gives it away right there. Jeff Stein, the economic reporter for the Washington Post for the White House, was a reporter for Vox. Vox is the left-wing site that attempts to explain the media. And Jeff Stein tweeted this out, trying to imagine just how angry people will be be if the $10,000 or $20,000 in student debt cancellation promised by Biden is blocked by a GOP conservative effort. Spoken like a real Vox, I'm sorry, I'm tweeting this now, Vox.com reporter, which Stein used to be. That's relevant. Because to be a reporter at Vox Media, you've got to be on the left. And now he may be at the Washington Post, and he may be covering economics for the White House. But to take a partisan frame and say, oh, imagine how angry people are going to be at Republicans if this gets thrown out in court, as opposed to most outside analysts say this isn't constitutional. The media doesn't care about the legality of it, they want to actually advance the legislation. This is fascinating to me that you've got all these reporters who claim that Republicans are a threat to democracy. And it's not just the Democrats, but it's the reporters. It's the reporters. There are reporters at CNN, Jim Acosta, Formerly Brian Stelter, who they got rid of him, all the folks over at MSNBC claim Republicans are a threat to democracy. If Republicans are a threat to democracy, Democrats are a threat to the rule of law because they've taken unilaterally by fiat a presidential forgiveness for student loans. They've premised it under the HEROES Act, written after 9-11 to help veterans. They claim it's because of a state of emergency that they've continued to perpetuate long after the emergency has ceased to be an emergency. And then when they talk about it, they're honest enough to say it's really about the education system. It's not about the emergency, where we have 2% unemployment among the college educated in this country, so they should be able to pay their bills. And yet, that's the frame. That's the way they talk about it. And I hate to use that. Honestly, I despise having to use the words framing and narrative, but that's what's going on here. This isn't a report. This isn't a reporter. This isn't reporting. It's framing. It's narrative shaping. It's designed to help the Democrats and how they catch the story. It's amazing. All of the polling, they trotted out to show, oh, a majority of Americans love this student loan bailout. Do you know if you ask people, do you support forgiving student loan debts? A majority of Americans say yes. But if you ask the same number of Americans, do you think this is unfair to those who never went to college to pay off the debts of the college students, they overwhelmingly say, yes, it's unfair. Do you think it's unfair for those who paid off their student loans to have to cover the payoffs of those who haven't paid off their student loans? Overwhelmingly, Americans say, yes, it's unfair. It's amazing how you ask the question. That's why public opinion questions on things about public opinions probably aren't good ways to ask questions because it really comes down to how you defend 
and how you question, how you shape the question. It really comes down to that. And they're more interested in shaping a narrative and shaping the narrative to help the Democrats. There's another narrative that they're trying to avoid talking about at all. And it's one I want to talk about just a little bit here while I have some time. I want to play you this exchange, and this is a lengthy exchange. This is about four minutes, and I want to play a good bulk of this. This is a back and forth between Peter Ducey, the White House reporter for Fox News, Steve Ducey's son, Peter, talking to Corrine Jean-Pierre, the dim-witted White House press secretary, about the fentanyl crisis. What specifically is the president doing about this? So uh, we just talked about uh, uh, the day, the overdose awareness day that um, uh, that we are uh, observing today. Uh, I just laid out uh, what the second gentleman uh, and uh, others are doing within, within this administration. Uh, and, um, you know, we are going to continue to focus on the uh, the steps that we're taking, that we have taken. You have the $80 million uh, that DHS just announced uh, today on drug prevention. And the president has taken uh, many steps. He's made this a priority uh, to make sure that we attack a very uh, dangerous, uh, very dangerous drug, serious drugs in this country. But 300 overdoses a day now. We know how the fentanyl is coming into the country. It's coming right across the southern border. The DEA administrator says so. So when is the president going to do something? So I will say that uh, you have seen a 200% increase of fentanyl seizures, which means that uh, we are we are doing the job of catching drug traffickers. 200%. Hold on, 200% increase. Just again, seizures. Americans' are going down uh, at a rate not seen in a century, and part of that is being driven by drug overdoses. So what is the president going to do? And we, ag- we agree. We agree. We see those same numbers as well. But the fact that we are, uh, you know, we are securing the border, uh, the fact that we are securing record levels of funding uh, from DHS so they can stop illicit drugs from entering into the country, the, the fact that uh, it's not just drug traffickers that we're dealing with as well, we're stopping stopping financiers. This is what's happening with this under this administration. It's Look, not but, being but, stopped. Three hundred overdoses. This is being designed to target I, children, drug cartels. In I Mexico, hear you. want to kill American kids. What is this president doing about it? I hear you. I just, I just laid out. 200- it goes on from there. I don't say this to toot my own horn. I know it sounds bright, and it's really not bragging, particularly given the subject. But if you're not listening to my program there's a story you're probably not hearing about. And it is the collapse of the country of Mexico. I'm kind of surprised to read the New York Times has finally seized on this issue. I've been talking about this for two to three years now. Mentioned it a few months ago. Now the New York Times has a story, absolute warfare, cartels terrorize Mexico as security forces fall short. The butcher in Celaya, Mexico, had been killed and no one knew why. The execution occurred in broad daylight as he worked in a family-owned restaurant, one of many murders that go unsolved every week in Celaya, one of Mexico's dangerous cities, most dangerous cities. 
His coworkers and family cried and drank tequila to calm their nerves while a forensic expert walked among tables still covered with food left behind by customers who had fled during the shooting. The plight of the city is part of the worsening security situation across the country. Police in places like Salaya say they're outgunned by criminal gangs in a war they are losing, while the federal forces meant to fight these battles often seem to show up after the shooting is over. Many officials and analysts say that the endless bloodshed has been exacerbated by the transformative security strategy put in place by the current president, Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador, shortly after taking office, which gutted intelligence operations and failed to quell the carnage. The Mexican state is failing. It is no longer a country in a meaningful sense. It is a narco cartel enterprise where people are being held hostage against their will, and the state, more often than not, is helping the cartels or turning a blind eye to them because they don't have the resources to fight them, and it's spilling over into this country. There are astonishing reports of the drug cartels standing about 200 yards south of the American border and using drones to monitor where the Department of Homeland Security's border agents are. And they send over the people who have paid them to the Border Patrol. And so the Border Patrol captures the illegal immigrants who paid the cartels for safe passage. And while the the Department of Homeland Security is dealing with the crowd that has come across the border, oftentimes these in New Mexico and Arizona, the cartel sends in the fentanyl runners where a hole is opened up. They've used the drones to monitor the agents, and they send the fentanyl runners across the border. They even will shoot up flares into the sky so that the Department of Homeland Security knows the fentanyl runners made it into the United States. Did you know this is happening? It's well documented now. They use the illegal aliens coming across to distract the Border Patrol and then send the fentanyl runners across in camouflage under the cover of darkness, secretly, away from where Homeland Security is, and then fire up flares to mock Homeland Security. And they're funneling this across the border, and the Mexicans are letting it happen because the Mexican government can't control the border. The Mexican government can't control crime. The Mexican government can't control the cartels. It has created not just a human tragedy in this country with fentanyl deaths. It's created a national security tragedy where people from Russia and China and Iran and the Middle East know they can go to Mexico and pay the drug runners to get them across into this country. How many terrorists are in this country now because of Joe Biden and his failures to do anything? How many? It's a legitimate question you have to ask. Knowing the number of people who have been seized, we know a lot of people haven't been seized. We know the fentanyl crisis is exacerbated because this government, the Biden administration, refuses to secure the border. They think it's racist to do it. Mexico is a collapsing, failed state. It is a national security issue. At some point, it becomes a military issue for the United States of America to take on the drug cartels and Mexico itself because it's a narco-terrorist state at this point on our border, and this administration makes it worse. At some point, our military will have to be involved unless we do something now, and this administration has no intention of doing anything, and meanwhile, the Mexican people People themselves are held hostage to the narco-terrorists who are killing our kids. And this administration pretends it's not a problem. It's infuriating.
Now, there's just no way to do a good transition here, but I got to, because I got to tell you that today and tomorrow is it for the BOGO deal on the Thunderstorm air purifier from Eden Pure. I've had listeners tell me it takes care of their fry odors like I told them it would. Listeners tell me it takes care of their litter box odors. I didn't even think about litter box odors, and they're telling me it wipes out litter box odors. I got one friend who tells me that his father smokes, and he can fire this thing up if the father comes over to their house and leaves the area smelling smoky, and it wipes out the smoke smell. Can't get his father to kick cigarettes. He can at least wipe out the odors. The thunderstorm works. Right now, you can buy one, get one free. You buy two, you get two free. You buy five, you get five free. That's the way the BOGO works. It eliminates the odors. It gets rid of the mildew, the mold, the bacteria, the pollen, the dust floating in the air, but it really works to wipe out odors. The worst odors, pet odors, cigar odors, cigarette odors, urine odors, fry odors, cooking odors. You go to EdenPureDeals.com and you put Eric Bogo in on the front page of the website, EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is Eric Bogo, E-R-I-C-K-B-O-G-O. You put that in at EdenPureDeals.com. You get free shipping. You buy one, you get one free. You buy two, you get two free. It's EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is Eric Bogo, E-R-I-C-K-B-O-G-O, no space, and you get free shipping. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. Always happy to talk to you guys. Uh, you know, I've mentioned the Jackson, Mississippi story. I actually wanted to spend more time on this, but real quick, you know, Jackson, Mississippi, uh, absolute disaster, their water and sewage treatment systems there. In fact, they mix their stormwater and their sewage, so sewage pours out into the rivers, they get some EPA problems. You know, one of the common cores here are these Democratic states and Democrat-run areas like Jackson, Mississippi, where they don't maintain their infrastructure. They want to move on to the new stuff. So in California, the lights are going out. They don't want you to charge your car because they have not invested in their infrastructure. They insisted the power companies move so quickly to solar and wind power away from nuclear, coal, and natural gas that those power companies couldn't keep up the power lines. They couldn't expand the grid. They couldn't upgrade the grid. And as a result, the grid is failing. Same thing happened in Texas to a degree where they moved to renewables so quickly they couldn't expand the grid and they didn't build enough baseload power. You know, where I am in Georgia, we tend not to have problems like that because Georgia Power is allowed to charge every single person a small fee to maintain the overall power grid because... They're in charge of it, and it's their responsibility to make sure we all get power on time. In Jackson, Mississippi, they stopped collecting payments from people because the politicians did not want to get voted off out of office by people who couldn't afford the water bill. So they stopped making people pay the water bill because they didn't have the money. They couldn't maintain the infrastructure because they couldn't maintain the infrastructure. The infrastructure collapsed. We see this time and again when states and cities do not maintain the basics of infrastructure. It's one of the whole reasons to have a government, and yet they're failing at that, but they want to do so much more.